Thank you for joining us again here at A Moment of Analysis, the Cincinnati Bearcat Football Podcast. How are you guys doing today? I am Tony, and I am here with Matt. How are you today, Matt? Doing well. Doing well. Obviously, it's kind of a, the start of the long offseason. We're, we're not even a quarter of the way through the desert. Yeah. We, we, just took, we just stepped foot in the desert, so we'll be here for a while. But, you know, there's a, that doesn't mean that there's not stuff to talk about. I mean, there, there are, there's always stuff going on with a, a team that has 105 people on it. That's my personal take. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, right now, everybody's trying to guess the roster number because everybody's trying to figure out who do we, how, who's going to disappear off the roster soon. Um, who's going to be at it. Everybody's trying to figure out the roster changes through the off seasons. It's one of the off season games we have here. So, um, I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited about this year. I'm, in, I'm like, like I said last time, I'm, I'm very intrigued about what we have coming and the new coaches that we have on board. So, you know, there's yeah, been... that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, that's the most news that we have right now. I mean, obviously uh, the, the final signing period starts uh, Wednesday. As far as I know, there's no, nobody out there. The only person who didn't sign in the early period was, uh, um, Danny Green, he went to LSU because he's an LSU boy and got the LSU offer. That's pretty much that's pretty much a wrap. Any anytime yeah. somebody in that state gets that offer, they're pretty much gone. No, I yeah, I agree. Um, and and you know, as cringy as the video was, I, I enjoy BK leaning into the awkwardness. Yes, like he's fully embracing it. He's just like, yeah, I'm I'm a sixty year old, sixty five year old white guy from Boston trying to relate to these guys from New Orleans who have literally nothing in common with me other than being Catholic. Other than that, not a lot of overlap. No, no. And really it, it's, it really, it, the, it, he is a confidence, the, the willingness to be a running joke for, in order to do whatever he's trying to do is great. I, I applaud him. It made him great here, made him great everywhere he's been. Right. That, the ability to sell at all times, sell, sell, sell. Even in that moment, he gets a lot of views. For sure. He's a salesman to the core, always has been. Right. So, I mean, so today, um, speaking of coaches, our coach, um, Coach uh, Fickle, welcomed his latest addition. Finally, we got word, official word, that Kerry Combs is in a fold. Um, that's exciting in the myriad of ways. And intriguing in even more ways. So, um, you know, uh, from my perspective, I think he's a an he's a pretty good to me. He's a good coach in the things that he's good at. Yeah, um, I mean, it's like anybody else. Yeah. Like he has he has a skill set. He has things that he's very good at that he's always been good at. Um, yeah, as long it's like anything else, like. As you advance in your career, you want to try things that you might not have the background or the experience of doing before. So it's, you know, I, I get the the willingness and the attempt to, to try to kind of step outside and, and become the defensive coordinator for Ohio State. I mean, like he's had that Cody C title before, but he's never been a play caller. Um, and it just kind of is what it is. Like he can teach a scheme fine, but there's a different there's a difference between 
install and game planning and and, and calling plays on a game. It, it's a completely different skill set. Um, there is some overlap for sure, but the ability to kind of play the three-dimensional chess with the offensive coordinator on the other side yeah. is it's a different thing. Like it just is a different skill and you can, you can get good at it. You can get better at it. You can improve, you can, you know, regress, whatever. It just kind of is what it is. Like he just did not have a good feel for the role at Ohio state. And I don't know if it was a disconnect with what he wants to do personally and what the scheme was and what they kind of have always sort of run for the last decade because they haven't really changed the structure of that defense in a, in a really long time. Um, that's probably going to change with Jim Knowles coming in, but we'll see that when it gets to the fall. Um, yeah, like it's it's exciting to have him back. He's definitely going to help their recruiting as they go into the Big 12. Um, they've already been throwing out some – taking some big swings in terms of offering guys that might not have picked up the phone a year, two years ago, but will be receptive now. So where they go from there is going to be the most interesting thing to watch with Coombs. Yeah, that's where I'm I'm looking at too is the uh, is the uh, is the recruiting. Uh, also, special teams. I'm very intrigued about special teams. Here's why: when Combs was a special team coordinator, our special teams was very, very good. Uh, and and I don't have the exact stats, but I know that was that was when kick returns were happening regularly. <laughs> you know that when we had no issues with our kickers, our punters were world class. Uh, I, I, I don't know exactly, you know, how much of his input was on special teams. I just know that it was really good. Um, so, you know, it, it, it will, will it take any leaps and bounds? I don't know, but I do know that if there's a correlation we have, you know, we will be able to figure it out now, um, this year. Yeah, for sure. And the interesting thing, like they're, there is a spot to improve with the special teams, but in general, they were very good. Their coverage teams were pretty good. Kick return game was good. Punt return game was pretty good, even if, you know, some people still haven't forgiven Ryan Montgomery for a, a couple of fumbles back in 2020, but he was rock solid last year and was really close to breaking a, a big return or a touchdown, you know, in, in 2021. So that's still going to be good. The, the thing you have to improve is that place kicking because – they left a lot of points on the board. That's just it's fact. And they need to get better in that spot. Oh, absolutely. Uh and and honestly, I believe place kicking at times cost uh some uh you know, so cost some stagnation. Cause you know, it, it's a it's really it really kind of gets you down as a player, you know, uh when you get no points at all. Uh and and, and you recognize like oh, uh, you know, it kind of it's a it's a it, it hurts uh, flow uh, of an offense um, or even defense at times. But, our, you know, this defense had, you know, you know, a, a still, you know, you know, a what's the word I'm looking for here? Sorry. They had uh, courage and, you know, and ability to overcome all obstacles. The defense was always that way under fickle while here. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, they're always really resilient in terms of resilient. There you go. To- Thank you. To kind of in quick change situations, they've always been pretty good. Um, yeah, nerves are still and all that. Yeah, and, and they um, just kind of recovered from whatever. I mean, that's the the thing that I really admired about the last couple of teams is that 
they like they never the it's not that they don't have doubts, it's just they never seem to really creep in and they never really affected the play. They just kind of put their head down and went to work. And you know, the result was a result. They always had to, they always seem to focus more on process than result, which is the key to success in in sports and in life generally. Absolutely. And so I just hope that with the new offensive coordinator here, uh Gadugli, um, that although our offenses were very good, and I won't, I'll, you know, for me, I like I, I'll have always been a uh a uh Denbrock uh, uh apologist. Uh you know, but for the most part, there were some shortcomings to his game. Uh and there was moments where the offense seems not seemed to not be able to get out of his own way mentally. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the gunslinger that, that Gadugli has always been and is hope that he brings some of that mentality. Cause when he played, he didn't care really. <laughs> he just played football and that's all he cared about. And hopefully we get some of that, uh, you know, some of that, you know, uh, that the offense inherits from him. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Just seeing what type of, you know, uh, um, you know, plays and, and formations, just to, just what is he have up his sleeve that he's been working on all the years? Yeah, and that's, you know, the one of the bigger questions for the staff writ large is kind of how do you, you know, like you can really, de- it, it's so rare at UC that you can kind of break a, a head coach's tenure into multiple phases because they usually peak at phase one and get out. Um, obviously, that does not happen with Fickle. So now this is phase two. Um, It'll be interesting to see what that entails because, you know, like you, and the other thing, like you, you went to to play Alabama. You saw what it looks like, you know, you, and Nick Saban said it himself a couple of years ago. It's like defense doesn't win championships anymore. It really doesn't. You have to, you have to be good enough on offense. You have to be able to, generate explosive plays and generate them consistently. Um, And that's really an area where you see had a lot of success this year, but they also had games where they struggled mightily to to pop explosive plays, either in the run game or the passing game. Like in general, all season long, the running game was not particularly explosive. I I know that's like heresy to say when you think of Jerome Ford and all the the 70 yard runs and all that, but like those are kind of one play outliers, right? You, You know, like, an explosive play is not a 70-yard run. An explosive play in the running game is 10 yards. Right. And they didn't seem to generate those at quite the same frequency that, as they have in previous seasons. Um, I think part of that is that they didn't run Des nearly as much as they have in years past. And that really kind of changes the math and makes it harder to, to get going in the running game. But they also were really disjointed on offense because it was, you know, we've talked about how, they tried to live in two worlds, a power, you know, a power world and a spread world. And that's good to an extent that you have the ability to be multiple, but they have to, the two sides of the coin have to be able to speak and and kind of fit together and be cohesive. Because if you don't have a cohesive offense, when you, when you are playing at the highest level, your, your margins are so thin that if there are tells or things that you're giving away, they will be ruthlessly, ruthlessly exploited and that's what happened in the cotton bowl because yeah. there's just too many plays where you know bama seemed to have 
a great understanding of what was coming based on personnel groupings, formations, mm-hmm. and down and distance. And and no, I completely agree. What I've what I seen in the cotton in the cotton bowl was there was a difference in talent. Here's the and here's the thing I will say that a lot of people may not agree with. The gap in talent wasn't that wide. It wasn't. It was like it was like uh you know it, I can't even I don't have a uh anything to compare it to, but when you look at it, when I watch the game, I'm like if that one little thing, right? That one little thing, you kept seeing it. Like our receive, like we said before, our receivers can run with the DBs. Um, our running back was talented enough. Uh, they was actually opening up holes in the run game. Uh, it was a preparation was the key difference I seen between the games between the two teams, largely outside of the difference between the D line and the O line, right? Um, and even that difference was there was a physical difference, but the O line was not good enough but in a way almost good enough to if things went right put it, we would have stayed in the game right if 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 the preparation wasn't so good with Alabama right UC would have been in that game UC would have been in that game with anybody else honestly if it wasn't Alabama well and they stayed in the game for much longer than most people gave them credit for I mean like right. Michigan was out of there in the other semifinal Michigan was out of that game in about a quarter and a half mm-hmm. um UC was never out of the game, but they were never really in it after that big touchdown in the second quarter to kind of end that half. Right. From that point, it's like, this is a mountain to climb. And I don't know how many more possessions we're going to get that are going to be scoring opportunities. Cause they only exactly. really had three of them and two field goals. It's not going to get it done. I mean, like touchdowns win. Touchdowns beat field goals every time because they're worth double the points. Plus Absolutely. One. Absolutely. Um, and 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 I and you know, our running back, you said explosive plays wasn't really happening happening this year on offense. And and my one critique of Jerome Ford early in the year, which we talked about earlier in the podcast, right? Was Jerome Ford has not played running back very long. Um, prior to well, prior to this year. This was his first really full-time gig on the college level. Uh in high school, he started out as a slot. And so, and he, I think he played running back one year in high school. And so he was relatively new. Now imagine going from high school to the biggest level of football, trying to play, well, the, sec, the, the you know, the biggest level that he's been to that point. Imagine going from high school to the best of the best in high school. And, and you know, uh, you're trying to learn how to play running back against these people. It 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 kind of showed at times. His head would be down. He wouldn't really be looking for holes. Um, there was times he's really good in between tackles, and there's times that he just didn't see anything. He just ran right into the back of his lineman. It's like, all right, you know, it, it, he had frustrating moments, and and you know, for him to come along, and by the time the end of the season, he was a monster that he showed. Like he, if he ran the way he ran at the end of the season all year, he would have had over two thousand yards without playing every game, like. And, 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 you know, it's one of those things where you look at, like, it wasn't particularly explosive because of, because of the play calling, right? Because of how we run plays. And if Gino Gadukli was the play caller, like people say he was all year, he's running the playbook that he may be comfortable with, but it's something he may not like, right? And so it's hard to call plays or something like that, but you're talented enough to call the plays in a playbook that's not necessarily yours and still be one of the top offenses in the country. 
that's outstanding. So I'm interested further. Yeah, and, and like the biggest, like I don't understand where the knocks on on Gino coming plays last year was. Like from a success rate perspective, exactly one team was better. Mm-hmm. Georgia. It's the only team in the country that had a higher success rate down to down than UC did. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're ripping off a success rate, every play, 50%, 55%, like, that's kind of in the region where they were running most of the season. That's really good offense. Um, do they have warts? Yeah. Like, their third yeah. down offense was atrocious. Terrible. Mostly because when they got to third down, it was it was never for a good reason. It was never third and short. No, it, it was third and long or third and extra long. I still the blame them not running dance too. I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. like there's just so that's like, why one knock on him is not running dance more. Yeah, but at the same time, you have one quarterback that you're really comfortable with. I mean, True. Evan Prater. I'm I'm in, intrigued and enticed by the possibilities. Yes, but then I'll go thirteen to one if Evan Prater is starting. If Des gets hurt on a quarterback power against Miami, that's true. They're, they're not going 13 to 1. They're probably not beating Notre Dame, probably not beating Indiana. It just kind of is what it is. If, if that would have happened, that kind of resets your entire trajectory. And then the reset year that we're talking about having this season in 2022, what happened last year? Yeah, I will say Evan probably. I Here's the thing we haven't seen Evan. So. No, Evan, he, Evan, is a, he, is a, he is an unknown. So, like, all we know is what people who have, you know, been to practices and, and people within the program are saying. He's either and the really next high time on him and, yeah. and, and, <laughs> their, and their possibilities. Right. But we don't know. Right. And we're going to find out during the spring game if they actually have a spring game. Though the way Fickle does it, it's never really a yeah. game. Yeah. But every coach kind of did it that way coming through here. You notice that? Like, Every time a coach comes to Cincinnati, it, it comes to a glorified practice. But it's like, it's, I don't know what that's about. But I don't know. And like BK made it a big deal. Like he, there were 10,000 people at his first spring game after 2007. No, but there it's still a lot of people there. But it was a glorified practice. Right? Like there wasn't no like game. Yeah, it's not, but it's never a game. Yeah. It's, yeah. You don't have that many people. That's true. I don't, I don't know. I, I think for me, Evan Prater is. And then I'm like, you hear he's the next coming and then one moment and then the next moment is like, he did, he was horrible. We don't know what happened, right? It's like his his inconsistencies through reports seems to be extreme, uh, which would make any officer coordinator terrified, right? <laughs> like, um, hence Ben Bryant coming back probably, right? Um, that certainly has a lot to do with it because right. Evan Prater has, what, 60 snaps? And if mm-hmm. you don't have somebody like Massett, like you had to get a veteran presence in that room. Right. Because like the expectations haven't really changed. Like, mm-hmm. do I expect UC to go 13 to one and win every one score game that they encounter this year? No, but they should compete for an AAC title. They're recruiting at that level. They have that right. much talent. Right. Um, all, all these guys. And that's one of the things that I, I don't think has really been discussed is, in, in great detail is that like, this is so all the guys that were the core of the 2020 and 2021 teams, they're part of that 2017, that 2018 class. Right. And recruiting since then has only gone up. 
So your baseline level of talent is higher today than it was when Luke Fickle walked in the door. And because of that, you have every, you know, it's a reasonable expectation, expectation to say, hey, you might be new and you might be a first-time starter, but you're extremely talented. We have, you know, high expectations for you. Mm-hmm. And the standard now is, hey, 10 games. Yeah. No, no, no excuse. Um, that's that's what I <laughs> – if they, if Vegas is the over under for the season for a win total at ten, I'm going under. If they said it at like nine, I'm going over. I'm betting just be about because eight. it's going to be about eight. My guess. I, I, if it's eight, I'm hammering the over for sure. Just because I don't trust that many teams in this league Mm-mm. to be able to kind of compete with them, like. On the like in the trenches at the line of scrimmage, it was not a fair fight in the conference. Oh, I'm not at all. It was, it was insane. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Not fair at all. Um, I, I yeah, can't so, say. Yeah, even US UCF, who usually give us a pretty good fight in the trenches, was nowhere near there. No, and like they were, they had a really good offensive line. Like they graded out well, um, but. And their defensive line was pretty good too. Like I think they probably have both sides of, of the line. I think they have the the sec- either the best or the second best line in the conference. Um, Houston's defensive line is really good, but that offensive line was a, a mess. Um, yeah. And I don't know if they're going to be able to to fix that. Not with a bunch of new players that haven't played together. Like it, it, <laughs> UCF too. Here's 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 where I'm 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 struggling with this year and finding a opponent an opponent that could really give UCF fits in the conference. Which we're they might slip up one because new quarterback, you know, um, all that whatnot. UCF USF Houston has a bunch of new players and yes they were P five and blah 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 and blah. they never played together. And and they never play with the players they're playing with, and they're entering a system what they may have been a part of because some played with Gus Malzahn and Auburn, and you know, but it's still new players, new system, you know, new people, uh, you know, and, and it's one of those things like who. So I, I look at our roster and and the talent that was brought in over the years of kids who know each other, room made it together who who been together for the last two, three, four years, who've been able to mold and gel together. And, and what are they going to do? I have no idea. But one thing you get from that is communication, um, is solidification. You get understanding the way one moves and how they think and what the expectation is of their movements. Like, for instance, you got two players who played on, you know, the second team together all season, and they always been next to each other. You know, and they all of a sudden go up to the next level. They played together for the last two years on the same side of, you know, uh, as teammates. You know, it's not two new players coming in trying to learn each other in in a, in a quick way. That's the difference between our team and every other team that we have on our schedule. Yeah, it's, it's more about continuity than anything else. And I think right. the way that they <laughs> use the, the transfer portal is kind of like um, – it's more of a an accentuating piece. It's not really right. the focus of what they do. They 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 focus on the high school high school athletes and like there's a re, like they have kept their powder dry to some extent. That's why there's not going to be any 
um, high school signees on, you know, the, the final signing period um, starting tomorrow. It's just, so like they're, they're keeping a couple of scholarship places open because yeah. after spring ball, that's when the next big wave of transfer transfer activity starts to happen because you see people, you know, look at the depth chart and look at who's getting reps. You know, like if you're a, you're running back at Florida, you're a four star because mm-hmm. you know you went to Florida and you're, you're looking at the, the depth chart and you see this guy who is a year younger than you getting more reps than you are and performing pretty well. The writing's on the wall. Like you are down, you're, you're down the depth chart. So you either stick it out and fight with it and try to get it done. Kind of like what uh, Brian Robinson did with Alabama. He was there forever. Sat behind a lot of really, really talented guys and then got a shot as a, as a fifth year senior, but most guys, aren't taking that option. They want the, they want the ability to play. So they'll look for a landing spot. And if you are that kind of player and you just saw what Jerome Ford did, you know, Cincinnati is a very attractive place and that is going to be the case. So like they are not done, but they are going to hold spots for a couple of guys after spring for sure. Yeah. Cause you got to imagine that they, a couple of kids, you know, who were kind of in the last minute had to show some interest, but UC was probably like, no, thank you. We, you know, we have a very clear path because that's just who Luke Hickle is. He has a clear path, a clear way he's going to do things. And if you didn't show interest early, and unless you were a very, very special, special kid, he's just like, nah, I'm, I'm going to stick with what I got and figure out what I need later on. Um, and that wouldn't be surprised me if that's just how he decided to move. Well, yeah, like um, I'm sure there were guys mm-hmm. last year who they're like, right. You know, like a really good offensive tackle prospect. Yeah, one of those comes on the on the market. Not that they ever do, and if they do, it's not for a good reason. But that's true. Talent is talent. You know, if if a guy like that popped up with immediate eligibility, I'm sure they were taking a crack at him. They just right. didn't have spots. No, last year, and you and you heard it through the grapevine that they were actually kind of upset that they didn't have spots. Right? Not that they didn't like any of the players that they had. You know, but it's one of those things where it's like it's like you see something and you regret it. Like, oh man, gosh, I wish I was there. Like, you know, I wish I would have known. I would have had something available. So it's definitely smart on their part to have those spots open. Um, and we're gonna see what this thing do because we have a spring season, a spring game, spring uh, sorry, spring practices coming up. Sorry about that. And and we are about to see what's about to happen because we don't know who's gonna be here when this thing is said and done. And we have some pieces that are interesting on offense. Yeah, for sure. And like it starts, it starts a quarterback. Like you have you have Evan Prater, who is a guy I think all of us are intrigued by. And anybody who's been a UC fan has seen glimpses of what he can do just in terms of just the sheer athleticism. Like he is Des 2.0. Yes. Not saying he's gonna be Des. That's that's a tough ask for anybody, um, but the physical traits and the way that he kind of operates and moves within the offense is very similar to Des, especially when Des was younger and and not really, you know, he progressed quite a bit as a junior and senior in terms of leading an offense and setting things up. So he is the guy that everybody, I don't want to say wants to win the job. Mm-hmm. But I think it'd be better if he did. 
And that's not to say if Ben Bryant wins a job that they can't succeed. Like Ben Bryant can have a like a Brendan K type season in, in, in 2013, where he had one great year. Yeah. It's the only year he started all, all, all the time, but he had a great year. And Ben Bryant is very capable of having that kind of season. His numbers weren't, you know, all that great at Eastern Michigan, but you're dealing with a different level of skill talent than he's going to have here at UC. So that's kind of the number one thing that everybody's going to be looking at because it is the quarterback position. If you don't get that, if you get that right, your ceiling gets so much higher. Like you can win without a great quarterback, but it's hard to win big without a great quarterback. No, I completely agree. And, and, you know, I hear people kind of comparing like, uh, you know, Munchie Legault, Brendan K and, and for me, not quite right. And I, I hate that comparison because Evan Prayer is not Munchie Lugo. And I love Munchie. He was he was a great human being. He was fun to watch. I mean, he, he was, was just yes. inconsistent. And because his he couldn't fix his throwing motion and it was killing him. Uh everything was line drives. <laughs> you know, and it was one of those things where um Evan Prater doesn't have those issues that Munchie had. Evan Prater probably is probably more used to being an athlete than a quarterback. I would say that's probably his problem more than anything. Um, but well, Evan, it's, it's his entire life has been able to get out of things because he's a great athlete. Yeah, it's like oh, it, I've made a bad decision here, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna run away. You don't really, you don't run away at the college level. You, you don't don't think so until you start seeing him get into the game <laughs> you know it's, yeah. it's... but that, like that's not a winning strategy long term yeah, like no, hey you just no. go be an athlete <laughs> right um michigan tried that with denard uh bernard was bernard robinson robinson denard robinson, yeah. denard robinson they tried that with him and it didn't quite work the way hoped it would um a long time ago yeah so. I mean, like he was so far down the list of things that were wrong at michigan at that time <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really gonna put that on him. No, I'm not gonna put that on him. But I don't think that also wasn't a winning strategy, like you said. Um, uh, but you you take a look at Evan Prater, and you you see what he can do, right? Like his change of like he's he is uh, Ritter 2.0, but he is Ritter 2.0, like. His athletic ability, Ritter couldn't do half the things Evan could do, and that's not no. the, that's not to, you know, uh, uh, you know, look down on Ritter or in any type of way. But no, Evan is a different beast when it comes to athleticism. Yeah, and, and it's it's the way I have I've described it to to people is, Des needed runway, right? He needed a blocker. He needed somebody to run interference. He couldn't really read the end and make the end miss on a play and just kind of, you know, get by that way. He needed right. to have some help, whether that's a, you know, whether that's Josiah DeGuara or Leonard Taylor on that mm-hmm. arc block coming through, providing interference, whether that's, you know, QB power with Vinnie McConnell leading the way through the hole, whatever it was, he needed somebody there to kind of help him be able to get up to speed. And once he gets up to speed, he was good. I mean, like the 40 yard run against SMU, that's kind of a perfect example of what I'm talking about Yeah, where he, he read his guy perfectly 
but there was still somebody there who could have provided some interference. And like Des is not, there's no shift to Des's game. No. Like it, no. it is north south. Yeah. There's not a lot of wiggle there. No. So he needed, he was a very good runner if the conditions were right. If the ecosystem was right, he could be a good runner. Yeah. Evan could just run. Like he doesn't need blocking and, and all this setup. Like he can just run. And that's such a it's it seems simple to just say, hey, he can run. He doesn't really need all this kind of accoutrement to the offense that makes him a capable runner. He just is a capable runner. Right. And that kind of changes the calculus of how you go about constructing your offense because right. that is such a valuable skill because now the defense has to account for it. And not in right. these specific looks with these specific alignments and this personnel mm-hmm. where you know, hey, this guy's probably coming across because they have to block because Des needs that extra blocker to give him all that little bit of extra time so that he can get up to speed. Evan's just up to speed. Like right. he can just go. Yeah. The, the, I was always say the difference when I try to explain to people is a four cylinder and a six cylinder. Right. Um, can they both get the one twenty five? Yeah. It just takes one a little bit longer, <laughs> you know, um, and a and... little, little more runway on the one. Exactly. So, you know, uh, I think this quarterback battle is going to be interesting. Is it's the battle of two different styles, two different processing methods, two different talents. Um, ben Bryant is a polished thrower. He just is. Uh, at Central, at Eastern Michigan, sorry, not Central, but Eastern Michigan, he didn't really have an offensive line that was worth the crap, and and he still managed to actually complete enough passes to gain three thousand yards. Now. How do you gain 3,000 yards with only, what, six touchdowns? Something? I, I can't, it wasn't very many touchdowns. I don't know. Um, 14. 14 touchdowns. So that's, that's 14 still. touchdowns, seven interceptions. How do you score only 14 touchdowns and 3,000 yards? I have no idea. But You're really bad in the red zone. <laughs> that's true. Um, really good between the 20s. Uh, <laughs> and and But you, the offensive line, though, his offensive line wasn't very good, and, and it caused a lot of issues. But he's good enough to overcome those issues, stand in the pocket, be athletic enough to be decent. And, you know, he's able to put a, up a decent number by what he had available to him. Put him in the backfield at UC with our talent and you will probably see an extreme uh, a difference in production, especially touchdowns. Um because we also have six five receivers who can in, in six five six six tight ends that can go ahead and go get that ball as well in the in red zone. So you know it is one of those things where you can manufacture touchdowns. But Ben Bryant, I, I believe he's going to be really really good. He's going to give Evan Prater a heck of a challenge for uh, sure. And Evan Prater's going to have to step up his throwing game because that's his one downfall. Right, is his throwing. Um, and we've seen him be able to throw pretty good passes. But we also seen where his hand just his hand just kind of go limp, <laughs> and bad things happen. Um, yeah, so. and, and like it's going to be the thing that I'm going to be looking for, especially this spring, is it's more of you're you're kind of balancing two things. So, are, are you playing for the future? Or are you playing for right now? Because right. if you're trying to win, if you're trying to beat Arkansas tomorrow. Ben Bryant's your quarterback. Oh, absolutely. No question. If you're trying to beat Arkansas in September, he might not be your quarterback. Right. It, it's just a matter of what you kind of want the offense to be. And, and like the, the, the thing that 
the offensive brain trust is going to have to to kind of deal with is is Evan being a plus runner. Does that give you enough versatility in your offense in terms of how you can approach winning games versus Ben Bryant? Because the offense that is going to be most successful for Ben Bryant it doesn't have a huge amount of overlap with the one that's going to be the most successful for Evan. Right. And right. that's kind of the, the, the dilemma there, because I think that having that explosive running game is also going to help the, the passing game because it really simplifies the reads for Evan. It's like, if you're in 12 personnel and you're going max protect and you're play actioning and you're booting and you got three guys on the route, those are really easy reads to make. There's not a there's not a whole lot of reading there, right? Right. No, you got your primary your your primary side and your back side. Um, you know, like if he if he starts making these plays, I'm ecstatic. But he's not going to be hitting the backside dig on on Y cross ever, like Des was. You don't Des think killed so? people on that backside dig? Killed you. Them. You don't think he'll All ever season. hit that? I'm not saying like never. Because Evan has saying, a strong arm. He's just no, incredible. but they, that's the last read in the progression. That's true. That's it's true. like oh, he's I gonna take look, off. He's gonna take off before. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah okay. Like I see what you're saying. I'm, I'm gonna look strong side, and if strong right. side is not there, and if I don't get what I see, it, it you know, if, if what I see pre snap is that what I get post snap, I'm running. Yeah, especially the first year. The second year, you might he might get like one look. To the well, other it side. took De- it yeah. took Des four years to hit that throw. That's true. That's true. Because that then Des had to work to stay in the pocket. He had to actively be like, "I'm going to stay in this pocket and not move." Well, to finally decide the, to do it. The biggest the biggest jump that Des made was his balance in the pocket. That's true, and that's yeah. why his accuracy was always so iffy because he could stay on balance for the first read and the first hitch. But if he has to regather and go to the second yeah. and third read, that's when his accuracy became a problem. Ball sale. But this year was really yeah. not that it's fixed, but it was much better this year than it has been previously. And like that's the thing that you're gonna be looking for with with Evan because it's gonna be more of that. You're gonna read the front side concepts, yeah. and if you ever get to the back side, that's great. But we're just gonna expect you to read this front side concept. And you can probably have a really good, really explosive offense just doing that. Um, But I don't know. I mean, the question is, does Ben's ability to kind of read a defense and get to those, those deep, those routes that are deeper in the play, not deeper in the playbook, deeper in the concept, Mm -hmm. you know, if you get to your third and your fourth option, Ben can do that much more consistently than Evan can. Yeah. Right now, that'll probably be the case in September. But, you know, it's it's a balancing act. Like, is that running ability, does that give you enough, enough juice so that you can kind of go with that and kind of take whatever lumps you're going to take this year and kind of build for the future? And, and we'll we'll get into this aspect of the offense, you know, in our next um, meeting. But also, it, it will talk. You know, you think about you kind of make a choice in a way off as how well the offensive line looks, right? Um, you don't want to sure. sit in quarterback with an offensive line that's not really pulling their weight. And we'll talk about that more the next time. But what I'm looking at is does having 
does having um you know Bryant in better for the transition for Richardson or even Lindar, right? Uh, because you if you look at Richardson, he's probably a better athlete than Bryant, but he's much more of a Bryant than a Prater, right? Yeah, for sure. He's more um, of a pro style than right. than a straight up dual threat. Right. And 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 Lindar is the same way. They said people have been saying Lindar is a heck of an athlete, but he's not a Prater. And so, you know, th- does that transition works better? Does the offense continuity works better with that? Right. That's something you have to take. I think you may take into consideration if you think about the future in the long term. Uh, well, that's one of the interesting things about right. their un- un- unstated, but pretty clearly the policy of taking a an athlete dual threat in one year right. and then a straight up pocket passer the next. And they've been having issues getting uh, uh, dual threats after Evan. And probably because Evan's there. Right. That has something to do with it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like I'm not gonna say that Gavin Wimsat went to Rutgers because Evan Prater was there, but like that has to be in your calculations. It's like this exactly. is the guy who was a composite player, about ranked as high as I was. I, I right. think there was like a 30 spot difference between them. But you know, we're talking about a top 250 player. Am I and better than him? Wore that right? Am I better than him? I don't know. I'm not gonna go there if I can go here and potentially have an opportunity without this type of fight. Right. Oh yeah, Wimsat. Right. Chose Rutgers and rolled early. Played played this year. Right. Exactly. Um, which was weird. Yeah. More and more people are doing that. That's just a different topic for a different day. Wimsat. Well, oh, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, but like that the the decision that you're going to make with Evan and Ben really is kind of the fulcral, you know, the focal point of this offseason. Mm-hmm for the offensive staff, because you got all these guys coming back. And like, we barely even touched on the guys who are coming. Like you got both your tight ends back. Right. You got three of your top four wide receivers or no, three of your top five. Yeah. So you got Scott, you got Tucker and you got Jaden Thompson. You want to get them the ball. You want to get them the ball. Yeah. And then you bring in Nick Martiner, who had a phenomenal year for Hawaii in. And like, I don't think people really understand how hard it is to have the kind of production that he did in a program as dysfunctional as Hawaii was. No, I get it. I, I've been through a couple of dysfunction, no things in my life. And it's really hard to concentrate. <laughs> in yeah. Those it's like, so these are kids. Right. And this is a dude from Ontario who's in Hawaii because he makes good life decisions. He made a amazing. It turns out that it wasn't yes. that great a life decision because <laughs> program imploded. Right. Right. But yeah, like uh, these guys, whoever wins a quarterback battle has weapons. Right. You know, the wide receivers and the tight ends are probably the the strength of the the mm. uh the skill position guys. Running back is more of a wait and see. I don't think there's a single back who's going to kind of own the role like Jerome Ford did, but there's a lot of guys with a lot of talent. Yeah. Who are uh, coming back. Evan, and that makes that brings Evan Prater, right? Who's the running back going to be? Probably how the running back room kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, comes along is how what you decide kind of with the quarterback too, right? If you don't have anybody who can really run the ball like you would want it, you kind of need somebody who can supplement that, right? 
Evan kind of does that in a way. Um, because you know, right now our running backs, you know, um, I here's the truth. I have a lot of love for Ryan Montgomery after this year. He he showed me something I wasn't sure he had. Uh, he's not the fastest. I got like I was saying um on a board, he probably runs a four six, low four five, right? He's not excessively fast. He has body mechanics from uh, from uh, that I've never quite seen before. <laughs> he has this strange way of distorting and and using other people's momentum against them and all type of things, almost like a martial artist as he run the ball. I don't understand what's happening, but he's really good at what he does. Yeah, he so, is. No, he is more like a. Uh... It's like a guy from the 1990s. Yeah, it's all okay. kind of jagged angles, and nobody yeah. like nobody runs like that with that kind of style anymore. Like Emmett Emmett Smith is the best example of this. Yes, where it's all stops and starts, and there's no real, you know, like it's not. Hey, this is a wide zone, so I'm just gonna hit. I'm gonna press that right. that gap, and then I'll take the first grass I see. Extreme balance. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so it's not speed. Speed is, has nothing to do with his talent. It's extreme balance and ability to understand angles and, and, and you know, that type of thing. Uh, in the midst of running full speed, which is really hard to do. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you have Miles Montgomery, who everybody keeps saying he is the next it. You know, um, he's getting bigger. He's getting faster, they say, even though he's already fast coming from Florida. He just we just had drone four. We have no reason to bring Miles from, uh, uh, you know, the red shirt space. Yeah, uh, and I'm I'm, you know, as, as a Northeast Ohio guy, I'm partial to Ethan Wright. Oh yeah, Ethan. Yes. Just because he's big and runs like an asshole, and I kind of <laughs> like that. I love the way Ethan runs. Uh, as he's a just, big running back myself, I I I Mad appreciate people. it. Yes. He he he. If you're going to hit him, he's going to hit you. Like, if he has nowhere to go, then we might as well just hit each other and see how this goes. And he won a lot of those battles. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, I think he is going to have – he's going to be the hammer for sure, like short yardage, all that stuff. That's going mm-hmm. to be that's going to be Ethan's lane. Whether or not he can take over the other two downs, open yeah. discussion. Um, and that's the other thing that we don't really know – about this, like UC's always had under Fickle, UC has always had the one guy. Right. 2017, it was Dokes. Then he got hurt. So it was Mike in 18 and 19. Then it was Dokes again. And then it was Ford. There's a backup behind him who's good, but there's always the one guy. Yeah. This year, I don't know who that guy is. I personally think it is going to be Ethan Wright because he just brings a level of nastiness and physicality that Luke Fickle loves so, so dearly. Yes, he loves it so much that he wants to take him away from offense so badly. Uh Yeah, and and like you're going to be running behind an offensive line that is basically five guards and four guards in a center. Who wants to hit everybody in the mouth? That's their only desire. They just want to go inside zone. (laughs) Maybe some, maybe some, well, probably not a lot of wide zone, but no. inside zone, yeah. Dave, low, low power, mm-hmm. all they want to do. Yeah. Especially the big guy Mets. And like I said, we'll get into that, but yeah, that's, that's for next week. But like, yeah. they are going to have, like, I think the running game is still going to be really good. Even if you yes. don't know who 
your running back is and whether you don't really have one guy to replace Jerome Ford because that's a huge ass for anybody. Could someone theoretically take over that role? Yes. Um, but I just don't know who it's going to be. But then, like, Mike Cummins, the new offensive line coach, just had a guy that I'd never heard of in my entire life run for 1,800 yards. Yes. As a they freshman. said he was really good in high school, though. They said he was really good. He had some pretty good offers. He just decided to go to Central Michigan because he just didn't feel like dealing with the big stuff. Like, that's essentially what he said. Like, I just didn't feel like dealing with the rest, so I just chose Central Michigan because it felt comfortable. Like, okay. Like, you know, you don't hear that often from kids, especially today. So, no. And, and like, I think the way that Central Michigan structured their run game Mm -hmm. was so much more cohesive than what UC has been doing Mm -hmm. that I think they're going to have better results. Um, Yeah. I haven't got into the study of it yet. So, you know more than I do. (laughs) Well, they just. I, they just played more cohesively than you see mm-hmm. And the the pieces fit together better in the running game. And like, so the easiest way to describe the difference between what you see has been doing the last couple of years is Central Michigan was more of a series-based run game, which mm-hmm. means you call plays to set up the next play, Right. So, like, we call this to set up this. It's very much like how Navy and Army structure their offense. Mm, They are series-based offenses where you might run a play the entire year to set up one play. Yeah. No, I get you. One glorious counter to this thing. And that's what we thought then Brock was doing, and it never happened. But But he wasn't. He wasn't. (laughs) He wasn't. He was just calling plays. Yeah. And, and like, there's there are – pluses and minuses to any way that you're going to approach a game. Like it's football, 22 people running at hilariously fast speeds, knocking into each other with ungodly amounts of force, like weird shit's going to happen. I agree. But so you have to like make concessions and make decisions based on what world do you want to live in? Mm -hmm. And the problem with series based play calls and Gus Malzahn is another guy who does series-based play structures. The problem with that is it's very hard to do, you know, Nick Saban always talked about the first lesson that he ever learned in coaching is he was in, I can't remember what high school he started at. He was talking to his coach and he was offensive coordinator. And he's like third and something or whatever. And the way that he described it in this interview with Tom Rinaldi was, so I asked the coach, what do you want to run? And coach was like, well, 11s are all state running back. I'd say get the ball to 11. And the way that Saban described it is like, that's when I realized that it's players, not plays. That's what good offensive and defensive staffs do is they put their players you call plays for players, not for plays. Um, so you try to get your guys the, the ball in spots where they're most comfortable. And that is something that I think you see really struggled with last year with the noted exception of Alec Pierce, who they seem to run to on every third and medium. Yeah, they did really well. Uh, they did their best with Mike Warren. 
they did it best with Mike Warren uh, and, and, and to the 2007 to 2018 year was probably the best time they actually pulled that off I would say uh, they struggled with it when they had more good players right when they had one player they knew they had that was good they're like okay we know exactly what to do when they had players that were good enough to be a part of that mode of like who do we get it to i have no idea draw straw we'll call that play like yeah yeah Yeah, like that is and part of the problem with that is so that's part like that general approach is the problem. Right. The other part of it is like you just don't play enough snaps right. to get all the good guys that you have enough looks, enough targets, exactly. enough carries. Like if you're only playing 65 snaps a game and 20 of them are garbage time because you're beating the fuck out of everybody. Right. It's like so Mike Young, you get three targets. Right. And then in some games you're gonna get zero, and in some games you're gonna get eight. You know, Josh Wiley had a three-game stretch where he had one target. Yeah. Tyler Scott. Tyler Scott didn't get targeted for a few games, mainly because people start double covering him because they didn't they were scared of him going over top on him. And so Pierce was getting all the targets. But yeah, Tyler Scott didn't get many. Uh, you know. It, yeah, and like that's the thing that I'm one of many things that I'm looking for in terms of how this offense runs is, you know, what's their approach to situational football? Is it yeah. still, is it still third and one? I love duo. So I'm going to run duo regardless of who the back is, whether or not they're right. good at it. Regardless like Jerome Ford, God bless that. him. Yeah. He got better, but he is not a duo back. No, no. Like that's not finding the hole eventually, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it like took yeah. time for him right. to realize what it kind of is. Like Mike Warren was put on God's green earth to run duo. Absolutely. <laughs> what he's supposed that's what he's supposed to do with life. Right. Right. And like they just had more, they have more diversity of options in terms of things that their guys could do, but they didn't really they didn't really push it, you no. know? And no. that's that's something they need to get better at. They played offense last year the way they played offense because they was just so much better than everybody. It was that much better than everybody they played against. When they decided we're going to score 21 points, they scored it. They scored 21 points when they wanted to, and they, they just kind of took the – they would take their foot off the gas and just kind of, you know, mosey along. Well, um, and that's the thing. Like, yeah. it's really hard to go from – I can't imagine what the, the two weeks, three weeks leading up to Alabama were like. Right. Because it's like – you've had this team where it really didn't matter what you called. Let's right. just call it what it is. Like after mm-hmm. the, after the Notre Dame game could run whatever. It yeah. probably would have worked yeah. because you had that much of a talent advantage over the rest of your, your conference. And, you know, like, so you go from that where it's like, Oh, we'll get on the next play. Well, yeah. you go from having a margin the size, you know, margin for error the size of the Grand Canyon to one the size of a hair. Yes. Yeah. And then you have to impart on 18 to 22 year olds. Hey, I know we've had a lot of like, we've been really loose and fun and all that stuff. And because it didn't matter. Right. You can't say that it didn't matter, but well, it, like, yeah. it didn't matter. It didn't. Like, we don't. It, win. In, okay. Yeah. So on the, on the, the, the field, everything matters. Right. In the office, 
it didn't mm. matter because they knew they just knew that they had that kind of advantage over everybody else. And then you go from that to playing Alabama where it's like, all right, we got some things that we can take advantage of, but it's going to be razor thin. Right. Everybody perk up. You actually have to listen now. All right. Stop first playing. Let's, we really have to focus. Like, And it's like, yeah, it's just yeah. a different, yeah. it's a different concept. It's a different way to do business. And I can't imagine what it was like to be like, to try to get the guys to understand that. And not that, right. not that your seniors needed it. They know. But it's everybody else on the roster. It's like, yeah, they just keep winning. And then every always win. It's like, we've been, we win. That's what we do. And then, yeah, Alabama's, I think Alabama lost. Just like, here's the thing. Georgia lost was something for the seniors. Alabama lost was something for the underclass. Because yeah. they was able to truly see the difference between us and them. And yeah. what do we need to do to get to that level? And and I, I think that'll work itself out. Yeah. And if you really want to freak them out, you can say, hey, that's probably the worst Alabama team in the playoff era. Right. No, no, I, I agree. I agree. What one of them? <laughs> I agree. Um it it's it's one of those things where I am. I am uh, excited. Like I tell you, I'm excited to see this year. Uh, the receivers, like you said, the receivers are we we know who they're coming back. You know, we don't know who's going to be. What is the ex receiver? Um, yeah, I would think that'd be Mardner or or Thompson. Oh, def- yeah, this won't be one. Of those I would think Thompson gets the first look at it, yeah. just because you want to keep. You don't want to rotate Scott and Thompson if you don't have to, right? At that field spot. So if you can keep one of them on. I think that's a better way to do it. But if Martiner's as good as his film showed, you know, at Hawaii, then it's a different story. But like, like Martiner could probably only play X. Thompson can play X, or he can play the field. Right, and Chris can play same. So yeah, and, and yeah, Chris Scott can play can slot the, too. So Scott can go into the slot. But I'm yeah. really interested for Trey Tucker in terms of because that's like that's another guy. That's a players that play guys. Right. Right. Like, hey, let's get him the ball. Gotta get, get him the ball. ball. We have to get him the ball. Like, that's one of the things that Luke Fickle will bring pull the offense coordinator to the side and be like, hey, we have to get him the ball. I don't care. Like, at least two times a game. You know? Two times a quarter. Or a quarter. I believe that too. Like, I'm in the same place as you. Like, I always feel like get him the ball. A couple of times, at least six times a game. We gotta get him the ball often because he he's the type where he will break one. He just don't get the opportunity, right, to break it. Like no, you know, but he'll get he'll get 10, 15, 20 yards off the first time he touches the ball. Well, yeah, and like I think part of that is that Denbrock viewed him as the jet sweep guy, right? Yeah, because that's the easiest way to get him easy touches. And that's how he first started getting into the offense is that they bring him in in specific spots with specific personnel and run those pop passes. But he's so much more than that. Like in the SMU game, he fucking killed him from the slot because Michael Young was out and he was the only guy who ran slot and they had no answer for him. He killed Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, So like he just needs to get more involved. And like, I know that they will probably not do this because they don't like to put the defense in a bad spot, but they got to go with more tempo. They do. They do. Like you can't run. And especially, and this is the other thing that, 
So if Evan is the guy, if you make that decision, you need to run fast. Yeah, you do. Because the They'll faster you go, think, the yeah. less the defense can do, the less they can do. The It, it clarifies everything. It simplifies the reads and makes things really yeah. easy for him to see. Yeah. And, like, the other thing with if it's going to be Evan, it's like you need to be spread more. Because mm-hmm. being in 12 personnel muddies all the reads because you have so many defenders in a close area that you can't really see who's doing what pre-snap. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to disguise that. But if everybody's spread out and they have to, like, if they're spread out and they have to account for everybody, it's much harder to disguise what you're doing at the college level because the tells are so easy when you are in that spread formation. No, no. And I also think, I will also argue they need to probably get Trey Tucker back into some uh, running back a little more. Not often, you know what I mean? But every so often, you know, because especially this year, we don't really have a speed back to hit the outside McKellen McClellan we don't know what's going to happen with him we don't know he he's one of the you know he clocked as one of the fastest players this week according to you know uh some of the times they put up the uh the strength uh team put up this week but McClellan you know he he was there for a minute and then he just disappeared for the rest of the season so we don't really have a speed back for those outside zones and, and sweeps and type of different type of plays you want to run to keep the defense all honest. And you can use Trey Tucker for that. Yeah. I mean, like he is a great edge player for sure. Yeah. Like he makes you defend those areas and you know, like those constraint plays. I mean, that's basically what a pop pass is. It's just yeah. like, it's something that we're going to do to make you stay honest to respect this, because if you don't, if you don't adequately account for this threat, like it's a touchdown. Like Calvin Austin against us. <laughs> yeah. No, was it Calvin? No, it was uh it was the other was it Calvin? It might have been Calvin. Or is the other guy who ran a four three? <laughs> but uh anyway. oh, there were there were many of them. Yes, that Memphis had. But no, uh yeah, you don't respect it. It's it's a touchdown. It's absolutely a touchdown. Yeah. So like there's a lot of there are a lot of questions for this offense, but there's also a lot of answers. Yes. It's just a matter of how you structure things so that you get the best out of whatever decision you make at quarterback, whether that's Ben or whether that's if, or whether that's Evan, you know, like you have, you have answers. You have the ability to structure an offense to be successful for either one of those guys. It's just mm-hmm. making that decision and you right. need, and the other thing, Part of it is that you need to kind of prepare both structures now and install both structures now so that you can get an adequate look for what both offenses will look like in the spring so that you can make an informed decision. Whether or not the the job is won in the spring, I highly doubt it. Oh, yeah. Um, It's not. Like that will not be announced until the day of the Arkansas game, pretty sure. And that's just how Pickle has kind of always worked anyway when he had two quarterbacks. Um, I don't know. I, I have full, honestly, I have full confidence in Gadoogly. Uh, for some strange reason, I do. Uh, it might just be my, you know, my bias in the fact that he played quarterback and thinking like that means something. It may not. What I will say is this though: <laughs> um, he was able to do a really good job with the playbook that wasn't his, and we don't know how much he liked or didn't like those plays. We don't know how much, you know. We just know that he had a playbook he had to run out. I, I think we could say yeah. pretty definitively that he was not a fan of the structure of the offense. Yeah. 
And and I say that because he brought in his own offensive line coach. That's true. That's true. Who was also one of his mentors as office coordinator. So yes. Yeah. So like that is to me, that's a clear sign that in a situation like this where you're promoting internally and you got a guy who's been on staff, when he's when he has been on staff and he's been in those meeting rooms with the guy who's been that coach, that position yeah. coach for a long time, for five yes. years. Yeah. And it's basically, it's like, this is a tough business. It's like, I don't think that's it. Right. Like he I'm had an opinion, right. He had an opinion that he couldn't speak until he got the power. So that uh, says a lot yeah. about it to me in terms of where yeah. he views how the offense was structured. That doesn't mean that it's going to be, a drastic difference in terms of personnel groupings, formations, run pass splits. That doesn't mean any of that is going to be drastically different in this new offense. I just think it's going to be, it's one of those things where it's tough to, it's tough to describe, but I think it just will be generally more cohesive because he's not going to live in two worlds. Right. Right. Like he's not going to try to live in that duo power world that Denbrock loved to live in, 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 you know, third and fourth and short. I think he's going to have a different approach to it. That's going to be a little bit more cohesive. That's also going to bring into the game, the play action pass and the RPO stuff, which you see at finally, geez. Gosh, like, I was screaming. <laughs> they they didn't throw an RPO glance ever this season. Like I no. can't recall one. I mean, like I'd have to go back and watch every game, obviously. But I, like the fact that I can't recall, like, hey, this is clearly an RPO glance or an RPO dagger, right? Um, the fact that I can't recall one is kind of an indictment, given the quarterback that you had and the running back that you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully, Gadugli will, 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 you know, re- revisit those times and see, like, we could have done this here. We could have done that there and be more interested in the RPO game. Because, once again, he's the one calling the plays. Because there was times you watch the game and you be sitting there and you see Dez hand it off and, you, and you'll see a wide open just field. And you're like, if you would have kept that, he'd be running right now. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay. All right, let, let's see how much he's able to correct, yeah. some, you know, some of the small errors that he had in play calling. For sure. And, and like Central Michigan didn't have a real running threat as a quarterback. Mm. I mean, they played two guys. One was a real, was a good runner. The other is more of a pocket passer. But they ran the hell out of some RPO stuff. Like they hit that slant a lot. So that's something to look forward to. I, th- I think that's going to be a big piece of the offense for sure. And 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 Cummins seems to be a a you know a more of a, a mental type of coach, cerebral coach, cerebral coach, right? He he's like the tough and nasty. He loves big old lines, but he plays with a with a you know a tech a technician um, a technicality in the way that he coaches off the line that tells you it's more about you know thinking than it is necessarily about brawn and power, right? Uh, which why he's probably great with tackles because that's what tackles are. Tackles are very technically sound. Um, they have to be. Yeah. I mean, if you're not, it's your 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 quarterback is in the hospital. It's yeah, kind of kind of your fault. And and you know, and amazingly, we didn't have that issue at UC somehow. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and Hudson was one reason. Uh, 
one year. But uh, Des Des done didn't get hit a lot. He he didn't take a lot of big hits. He did. But but I think that I think that Cummins coming in, and I'm interested in Mets. I'm really interested in Mets and Cummins meeting and getting acquainted and seeing how that plays out. Um, yeah, I'm like, I I don't want to give people false hope. No, but if he can unlock him, it solves so many problems for your offense. If Mets is a left tackle, it's going to be beautiful. If Mets like, can he, play, he just tackle. took a fucking Austrian kid. Yeah, he's pr- like you know, Mets is this guy from Bavaria. They're very like I'm sure they could right. meet and talk and have a lot to, lot in common because they grew up in kind of the same area of, the, of Europe. Right. Um. Yeah, and he's going to be a top 15 pick. But that's like, we're going to talk about that next week, though. <laughs> yeah, and, and like he, he just has all those yeah. gifts. Yeah. But Cummins, I'm interested in seeing what Cummins put on this offense because he probably is going to go back and look at the offense over the year, you know, and kind of analyze it and say, hey, we can fix this. We can do this. We can do that. Let's look into doing this and understanding the pieces that he has and helping Gino understand. Because as his former mentor, Gino is probably more willing to listen to him in a way that means let me have my hand in your playbook as well. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, you know, went through the offense pretty well. Uh, we even touched on offensive line a little bit, like we wasn't supposed to. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, that's a taste. That's a taste for next for, for next time, where we'll get right. to we'll get to uh, you know deeply acquainted with all the guys who are coming back on the offensive line, and yes, all of the guys who are not coming back on the defensive line. Yes, there's two yes. that are coming back, which is better than zero. But there's a lot of new. There's going to be a lot of new faces in that too deep. Absolutely, and um. Yeah, so we do thank you for listening to us once again. Um, we're going to try to bring you interesting and different things all off offseason. Um, just kind of going over this football team and, and the intriguing pieces that they are, especially since it's going to be relatively new. So, yeah. Uh, so just, you know, tune in with us next time. We'll be going over, like you said, off the line and probably digging into the defense a little bit. All right, you have anything else, man? sure. All right. Have a good one. All right, see you.